from the Over the Top Studios at Scratch Labs in Boulder, Colorado. I'm George Thomas, and we are going the distance with Coach John Hughes. Always a pleasure, John. It's really great to be here, George. I'm glad that the snow is going away and the roads are drying up because I'm going for an endurance ride in a couple of days with my good buddy. Snow going away. Well, last week we talked about spring training, which includes endurance training. More specifically, what is endurance training? It's the classic conversational pace. You should be able to talk the whole time, having a good time. The top endurance athletes, these are people that try to go really fast for things, 80 to 90% of their training is as endurance riders. It's really pretty slow. And a lot of people think they're doing endurance training on club rides, but they're actually going a little fast. You should be able to ride along casually talking the whole time. Now, let me give you an example. I've got a client named Bill. Bill is 75 years old. He lives down in Texas, and last year he did what's called the Texas Challenge. Six-day tour, fully supported, and he struggled on the hills, and he could not keep up the pace he wanted to of 15 miles an hour. So we started working in September, and between then and the tour, which just concluded on Saturday, so a week and a half ago, he rode and he walked 1,875 miles. Now, I include walking because, A, he's 75 and he needs some uh, weight-bearing activity, and, B, it's an endurance activity. Now, he did the tour last week. He averaged 15 miles an hour, a mile an hour faster than he'd done the year before. He did fine on the 100-plus mile day. He had no problem on the hills except for day three. And I got a note from his wife that he wanted to talk to me, and we talked it through. And he, he's a smart guy. He would already diagnosed it. And he says, you know, John, I didn't eat enough breakfast. He wasn't fueled. And my heart rate was up around 160 a lot when I was chasing guys up hills. I think that took it out of me. Yep. So smart guy. He took day four off. I told him he didn't have to ride every mile. He said, no, I'm not going to ride any mile, every mile. I'm not having fun. Days five and six, he was fine. He cruised up the hills. Now, what's important about this is his ability to go briskly and to climb was the result of all his endurance training, not doing any kind of speed work. So endurance has got huge benefits just like that. I think of endurance training as just going at one speed and kind of getting stuck in the, almost a rut. How does it bring about benefits for examples like Bill? Well, it's a really good rut to be stuck in for the per- first part of your season. Let's talk a little about the physiology of that rut. When you're riding in what George calls the rut, I have to think of it as when you're having a great time out on your bike and not worried about going very hard. You're burning fat and you're burning glucose. Glucose comes from carbs. And at a pretty casual endurance pace, eh, 50 60% of your energy is coming from fat, the rest from glucose. Everybody, even people winning the Tour de France, have got enough body fat for an endurance ride, but not enough glucose. Now, when you're burning body fat, you're doing it in the mitochondria using specific enzymes. Going harder, you're burning glucose, different part of the body cells, different enzymes. Endurance training, you're really training the fat metabolism. You're building more mitochondria. 
First, I have to apologize about using the word rut. That would be from personal experience. <laughs> but mitochondria, love that word, John. I, I use it because it's the most important part of endurance training. The slow-twitch fibers are really rich in blood supply. And fat metabolized in the mitochondria needs a lot of blood. Slow-twitch fibers can go on for a long time, but they can't go very hard. George and I are both endurance riders. we got lots of slow-twitch muscles. Other people, sprinters, really good sprinters, got a lot of fast-twitch muscle fibers. And that's genetic. You can't change the proportion of muscle fibers you have, slow-twitch and fast-twitch. Now, there's an intermediate type of fast-twitch that can result from training to either provide more endurance or provide more speed, depending on what you need. But endurance training, you're training your fat-burning metabolism. And what that means is at X miles an hour, you're going to be burning more fat and less glucose than you were some months ago. So in a way, you're training to make your body more efficient. You're training to make your body more efficient and you're not drawing down your, your glycogen supplies as fast. Glycogen is the way your body stores the glucose. And glycogen, you're, you're burning glucose all along, but as you go harder and harder, you start burning more and more glucose. Um, George and I also both enjoy in a sick way doing speed work. And after too much speed work, you're flat out of glucose. You can run out of that. So training your body to use more fat rather than glucose spares it. You're also building the actual contractile strength of your slow-twitch fibers and improving their endurance. So I would actually get rid of the dachshund around my waist if I would go out and do more endurance riding right now. Uh, the best way to do that is pushaways. Okay. <laughs> After push the first, Pushaways from the table. Pushaways push from, from the table. But, but you bring up an interesting point, George. I'm going to... Some people assume, oh, okay, great. I'm going to do more endurance miles. They burn fat. I will get thinner. That's not really the way it works. The way it works is I'm going to do a lot more volume of training, burn a lot more calories, and my middle will get smaller. So it's a function of total energy output, total energy input. And as long as output is greater than input, you're going to lose weight. And it's not a function of how much fat you're eating or fat you're burning. Now, in addition to improving the endurance of the muscles, what are some of the other benefits? When you were born, you had certain muscle fibers. We talked about that. You also are genetically predisposed to a certain maximum heart rate. You can't really change that, and it decreases with age. But what you can change is how fast, is how much blood your heart pumps per beat, the stroke volume. So... Max heart rate is fixed, it's not variable, but more stroke volume is a good variable. Supply more blood to the muscles. That's the first thing. Second thing, I talked about how carbohydrates, you want to spare them, not use as many, but also endurance training improves the ability of your liver and muscles to store glycogen. So you're actually store, you're using your fuel more efficiently and you got a bigger fuel tank at the same time. Third, another big benefit, what, what brings about the efficiency in many ways, is the neuro, neuromuscular firing pattern of your muscles. you got a bunch of muscle fibers going 
zit, 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 they're firing. But if they're not firing at the same time, it's wasted energy. And if you can train them to fire at the same time, you're getting more power out of the same muscular effort. And that's what happens from just doing a lot of riding with a pretty smooth stroke. And actually, at the other end, sprinting works really well for that, too. So I have my endurance riders do a few 30-second sprints. Because when you're going max, max, max power, it's getting your muscle fibers to coordinate as well. Now I've got a question for you. I, th- I think it applies here. Uh, but I'll also I'll often on the indoor trainer uh, will really try to get my perceived power up, keep my speed the same by shifting to a smaller gear going rather than going to a larger gear. Uh, it's a lot harder for me. I think it makes both my legs work more efficiently. Uh, what do you think? Well, a couple of things. First of all, higher cadence, lower power per stroke, slow twitch muscles. Lower cadence, more power per stroke, fast twitch. And when you're doing endurance training, you want to be working the slow twitch. So that's the first factor. Second factor is personal preference. I remember back in 1995, I was, um, whatever hotel it was, back before Paris Press Paris, and I saw Lon Haldeman, and he said he and Doug Slack were doing it on the tandem. And I said, well, you guys done brevets before? And he says, yeah, we did one a few months ago. And I went, well, okay. It's Lon Haldeman. So I saw him afterwards, and I said, so how was it? And he says, well, it took me a little breast to get the, tan- get the tandem dialed in, but then it was fine. And then I saw Doug a little later, and how was it, Doug? And he says, well, you know, Lon rides his own gears, and Ron- Lon rides well by pushing big gears. And other people ride better by being in lower gears and spinning. And I've had clients, somebody will say, you know, you'd ride better if you put it in lower gear. And in point of fact, their performance isn't as good. So it depends on how you ride better. Test it. Experiment with it. Yeah, I'm usually around a cadence of 88 to 92. I just feel most efficient in that zone. Yeah, and if I try to get it up to 100, it's like, man, I'm burning a lot of oxygen. <laughs> I'm, not, do it. I'm not doing it. And occasionally, I'll shift to a harder gear and really try to call into play my glutes to get more power out of them to relieve my legs. I guess what I'm looking for is what is a sprint? Because if I'm doing... I don't know, 20 miles an hour at 88 RPMs and I shift to an easier gear and try to maintain 20 miles an hour at 110 RPMs, is that a sprint because I'm making my legs go so much faster? That is, that is not a sprint. Slow twitch, fast twitch, it's not a function of how fast your legs are going. Sprint is put it in like a 53-15, really high gear, and go absolutely as hard as you can for 30 seconds. And that's when your mus- your legs are saying, muscles, I need all of you. I need every muscle fiber I've got to kick in. Now, we were talking about what are the benefits of endurance training. I talked earlier about it improves your capacity to burn fat. Another thing that it does is increases the blood flow to the skin. Now, here we are, George. It's been snowing. It's going to be 70 by later in this week, but staying cool isn't a terribly big problem. But your skin is your biggest organ of your body, and that's how you dissipate heat. So by improving your ability to get blood to it, you improve your ability to dissipate heat when it's hot. So just to to review, it increases the stroke volume, so your heart can, can pump more blood. 
It increases your ability to store carbs by tw or score glycogen by 20 to 50 percent. It increases the efficiency of pedaling. That's what we were just talking about. It increases the body's reliance on fat and sparing carbohydrates. And it improves the blood flow to your skin. So how much endurance training should you do? I mean, if I can do 300 miles a week, would I be a whole lot better off if I could do 800 miles a week? Which there's no way I could do that. But <laughs> We were talking earlier about a good friend, Danny Chu, who used to ride 800 miles a week on his recovery weeks. I was going to so, say, on so, an easy week. <laughs> so, so some people can, in fact, do that. Um, improvement comes from increasing the overload. So if I'm doing 100 miles a week and I keep doing 100 miles a week, I'll be proficient at doing 100 miles a week, but I won't get any better. So I got to change the overload. So I can do 100 miles a week, and then the next week, increase by 10 to 15%. That's safe, 110, 115 miles a week, and so forth and so on. And then I'll get to a point where I can't handle more miles. I've plateaued. And so at that point, I need to change the duration of my long ride, how long it is, make it longer, but not total volume or how often I ride, or the intensity. Let me give you an example. I've got a new client, Dan. He's going to ride the Quadzilla, which is in late July. Now, Quadzilla, Quad 4, is, 200, is four 200 Ks on four successive days around the Finger Lakes, 38,000 feet of climbing. And I asked him what rides he wanted to do, and, well, he wanted to do two brevet series, but not sequentially. Not one brevet series, have some time off, and then another one. But he wanted to do a 300K this weekend, literally this coming weekend, and then another 300K the next week, and then a 400K the next weekend, and then another 400K. And then he's going to take a week off and do a 600, and then the following weekend do a six, another 600. Now, by doing that much, he's not getting any more training benefit out of it than just doing one set of brevets, and he's not getting the recovery he needs. Further, what he, what he needs in addition to building that endurance is the right intensity to build his power. And I think that would be a good thing to talk about next week, George, perhaps, is how does intensity training fit in with endurance training? So, John, great information. Where can someone go to find out more? I coach endurance riders. I don't coach road racers. And I've written a lot about how to train for and ride endurance rides. I just counted up last night. There are 10 different articles on my website about training for endurance. Website is www.coach-hughes.com. There's a three-part article, it's bundled, that I wrote for roadbikerider.com that I highly recommend, not because it's necessarily my best work, but because I think it's probably the most useful. So article one is beyond the century, how to train for 200 Ks, up to 600 Ks, and even 1200 Ks. And it's got a detailed scenario week by week about how to do that. Second article is nutrition for 100K and beyond. The reason it's 100K is most people can get through 100K even if they aren't eating properly. But once you get up to around 200K, if you're not putting fuel in the tank, you're going to run out of gas. Third one is mastering the long ride. I talked about Bill earlier. He had the training. He had the nutrition dialed in, he ate on his rides, but he hadn't quite mastered how to ride it. He went out too fast and didn't pace himself well. It's pacing. It actually starts with what should, should you do the couple of weeks before, dialing your equipment, pre-event nutrition, so forth and so on, how to ride in a group, 
how to not waste time. I said rest stops if you're doing brevets, so forth and so on. So they're bundled as a three-article package, 20% off from roadbikerider.com. Now, roadbikerider.com also has a weekly newsletter that people can sign up for as well, and that's free? Absolutely free newsletter. Comes out every week on Thursday, so it's in my mailbox uh, Thursday morning, and I write a column for it. I was going to say you do some writing for that as well. I, I, I try to write a column every week, and they're topical. Uh, sometimes it's on... You know, I, in the winter, I was writing, writing about my skiing and how training for skiing applies to riding your bike. Uh, now I'm writing about different different people I coach and abstracting from that the principles of good training. So I try to provide a lot of information, and as George said, the newsletter is free at www.roadbikerider.com. Now next week, we're going to be talking about intensity training, correct? I think that's right, and I promise I will do some intervals during the week before, if you will. You got it. (laughs) From the -the over-the-top studios at Scratch Labs in Boulder, Colorado, I'm George Thomas.